Welcome to Real Men Connect. Are you ready to be the extraordinary man, husband, father, and leader God called and created you to be? Then get ready to receive wisdom and guidance from some of the country's most respected men of faith as you learn everything you need to know to go from good man to great man God's way. No judgment, no shame. Just real men with real challenges seeking real change. All for God's glory. Hello, mighty men of God, and welcome to the Real Men Connect podcast, where we help good men become great men God's way. I'm your host, Dr. Joe Martin, and every week we interview some of the nation's most respected and accomplished men of faith to find out what it really takes to become the kind of husband, father, and spiritual leader God called and created us to be. Each interview session is packed with practical, proven biblical principles you can immediately apply in your relationships, on your job, and in your community. And today we have with us Drew Hill. And Drew is a pastor in Greensboro, North Carolina, and he's the author of Alongside, Intentionally Loving Teenagers with the Gospel. Drew also serves on the staff with the National Young Life Office, and he provides resources for thousands of youth leaders around the world through his blog and at younglifeleaders.org. And Drew graduated from the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. He's a Tar Heel. And he received his Master of Divinity from um, Denver Seminary in Colorado. And Drew consults and regularly speaks to teenagers, parents, and youth workers. And he and his wife, Natalie, have three children. Now, as many of you guys know, before I answered the full call, a full-time call to men's ministry, I spent over two decades as a teacher, speaker, and educational consultant. And although that seems like a long time ago, I still have a passion for education and reaching our young people, especially teenagers. So when Drew's book came across my desk, I told his publicist that I'd love to have him on our show to talk to us about the youth and the challenges we face in reaching them for the gospel and what we can do as men, as husbands, fathers, and as leaders to impact the next generation for the kingdom of God. So please help me and welcome my guest, author and pastor Drew Hill to the Real Men Connect podcast. Thanks for joining us, Drew. Joe, thank you so much for having me. It is a gift to just be a part of this ministry that you have and to connect with men around the world. I really have a heart for men and just brotherhood and us walking together arm in arm, falling after Jesus. So thank you for inviting me to be part of that. Oh, my pleasure. And I'm excited about having you because this lets me go back to my roots in education. I spent over two decades in education. I um, taught elementary school. I, I taught high school. I taught college. And the only level I hadn't taught, Drew, was middle school. And I tell people because I'm not crazy. <laughs> so, but, <Amen. laughs> but you working around the youth, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I do. It is a wild world. It, I, I like the adventure and, uh, and drama of it. So I, I'm thankful for those folks who are willing to be in the trenches teaching. I'm telling you, man, I tell you. But you know, but it's weird because there's also my favorite audience I love speaking to are the middle schoolers because they're so honest, um, brutally so. Uh, and they understand a lot more than we give them credit for. But I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself because there's a lot I know you can share on this topic. But Drew, before we get started, we always ask the men who come on our show to share their favorite Bible verse that gives them inspiration from the Word of God. And what has been your life verse in this season of your life? You know, since I was a teenager myself, the, I've had the same life verse. First Thessalonians 2.8, Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, and he says, We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. And it just brings alive the scriptures to me and brings alive the life of Christ, that Christ didn't just come to tell us how to live, but to show us how to live and to live alongside of us. And when I realized that that God himself wanted to walk alongside of me because he delighted in me, it changed the way that I viewed every relationship that I have. Wow. You know, we're, we're asked, I forgot, forgot the specific Bible reference that he asked us to delight in him. But we never think about God delighting in us, <laughs> that he he that He adores us. I, I hear so many and say, yeah, I, I know God loves me, but I don't really know if he likes me. No, he more than likes you. He delights in you and he wants to delight in you. And so a lot of times we're a hindrance to that, not him. But I'm glad to hear that's one of your favorite Bible verses. That's a good one, man. It has been uh, it has been a game changer for me. You know, when I was in high school, I had a pretty judgmental, self righteous attitude. You know, I had a real man love Jesus sticker on my car, a Bible verse on my back of my um, letter jacket. I had Philippians four thirteen was on the back of my letter jacket, and I had you know a, a, a finger that was shaking at anybody who did anything wrong. And I thought I had it all together, and I was following Jesus, and they were not. And 
the Lord broke me of that my senior year of high school when I when I was listening to uh, my youth pastor preach on Luke 15 and the lost parables. And I realized, oh, Jesus came for the lost and he came for me. I, I, I'm, I'm just as lost as they are. And, and then I realized, oh, he's called me to pursue others that way, too, and not just to tell them what they're doing wrong, but to actually come alongside them and walk life alongside them just like Christ did. And it's been a game changer for me and shattered a lot of that, that self-righteous pride that I had. You know, and Jude, you're getting a little bit ahead of me because that's but that's exactly where I was going to go. And we're going to start with is because I believe that everyone has a story and usually our ministry messages come out of either I say our messes, mistakes or miracles. So I want you to go back before you became that high school self-righteous guy. Yeah. <laughs> tell us a little bit about your journey into um, knowing who Christ was and accepting Christ. And tell us a little bit about your family, man. Your back. Well, by God's grace, I grew up in an incredible church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. One of my pastors was Gary Chapman, who wrote The Five Love oh, Languages. Yeah. Yeah, and he, um, and then Dr. Quartz, another pastor, were just super instrumental in my life. I, my dad worked at our church. He was the minister of fun. He ran the basketball courts and the and the racquetball courts and the game room. And I'm still really good at foosball and ping pong and half court shots because of growing up with my dad um, running the gym at our at our mega church, you know. And I watched uh, my pastors really invest in people and love people well and. My dad did that, and my mom was a nurse, and she really cared for folks well. And so I just grew up around Sunday school teachers and other and youth pastors and other folks who modeled for me what it looked like to follow Jesus, and it was it was such a gift. But because I saw it so often and so much so young, I think I you know I got to figure it out um, in advance of a lot of people that were my age. Uh, and when I was in middle school, I was at summer camp and there was a Christian musician there named Chris Rice sing the cartoon song. I don't know if you ever heard of him. It, he kind of disappeared for a while, but he was super instrumental in my story because one week at camp, he just shared about God's love for us. Kind of like what you were just talking about. And I wanted him to tell me what to do. And he just kept telling me how much God loved me. And finally I went up to him and I said, Chris, Stop just telling me that God loves me. I got that part, but tell me how to do it. And, you know, I'm a seventh, eighth grader telling the camp speaker and, and musician this. And he said, Drew, you don't get it. He's like, once you get it, you'll know what to do. He said, we love because he first loved us. And over the course of that week, the Lord revealed his love to me in a way that I had never experienced him before. And I came home from that week and committed my life to full-time youth ministry for the rest of my life and uh, and I was never the same since. You know, now Drew, you 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 described this environment, this culture that you're growing up in um, as a kid, which it sounds wonderful. It's awesome. You got a great community, you got great support in addition to have a great mom and a dad who were very supportive and you're watching them show a lot of love and minister to people. Um, even though you got this at an advanced age before most of your friends what do you think happened that made you, by the time you got to high school, this person said, you're not living right and you're not. And instead of loving him to the Lord, you were kind of like trying to um, condemn them to, to cause coming to God. So what what was the shift? What happened? Well, I think part of it is both my parents, um, you know, and I would say this in front of them, mom and dad, if you ever listen to this, you know, I love you. But both of my parents were really addicted to work and busyness and um, they loved people so much. But that became so much of our life because there's always a, a huge need around us. And so many days, if I wanted to see my dad, I would need to go to the church to see him because that's where he would be from morning until dark, you know, and it was often an eight to eight kind of day. And Sundays I was there all day. And so for me, it just became my whole life. And I lived in this bubble of my church and I didn't even realize what was going on outside of that bubble. And I thought everybody should get on our game plan and this is how you should live life and you should be always serving other people. And so for me, I, I never learned a balance of how to self-care and how to really practice the presence of God in a still way. And um, it was it was more of a faith of doing than a faith of being. And church for me was about entertainment and how fun Jesus could be. And so the more contemplative spiritual parts of the, our journey with Christ were lost to me until I, until I got to college and met some other folks who introduced that, that line of, of thinking and way of living to me. And 
my parents and I, you know, we've talked about that since, but I still, as a 40 year old now struggle with this fear of people seeing me as lazy. Like I'll come home from a long morning at church and I've got youth group at night and I want to take a nap in between, but there is still a big part of me that struggles with guilt because what if somebody comes by and they find out that I'm a grown man taking a nap? That makes me feel like I'm lazy and that makes me feel like a failure and a phony. And so I still wrestle with that. You know, I, I tell you, then they gonna think I'm lazy and a phony <laughs> because I, take, <laughs> I, you know, I I started I started falling in love with naps when I was in my twenties. <laughs> so well, now, they're now, they're a good thing. They're a yeah. good thing. Please don't hear me saying that. <laughs> you know, I'm hoping that we don't get condemned for taking naps. But no. I, I want to know what in particular. So this, so you really got a mind shift and a paradigm shift when you got to college. So what was the thing that was like? Wow, maybe I'm looking at this all wrong. That it's not about performing for God, but about the lighting in him when did you when did it kind of the light bulb go off and you got the aha moment i met a man named phil anderson who um happens now to be our neighbor and i met with him two weeks ago as a spiritual director but 20 some years ago and i'm in college i i met him he invited me to go on a solitude and silent retreat and for an add extrovert that was just a nightmare i was like no no no, you want me to pay to go and sit still and be quiet i was like there's no way but um all these folks that i really respected were going and so i went on this retreat we went to this like monastery nunnery and we ate our meals together at a table but in silence and for the first time I, i started like tasting food differently and uh and i started looking at people's eyes in a really uncomfortable way and he would just look back and smile at me. And I, I got to meet with him for this, you know, one one hour of talking during this 72 hours of silence. And, and during that time, I just remember him looking at me and looking into my eyes and just smiling at me and not saying anything for like the first what seemed like an hour. <laughs> yeah. It was probably like 30 seconds. Yeah. Um, but during that time, he just spoke so much truth over me. And, and I realized how... I'd been so busy and so distracted that I had such a hard time hearing God's delight in me. And that's when my heart began to crack open and I began to to see even more God's delight in me. I think it began that, that eighth grade year at camp and it was just a slow crack. And, and when I was in college, it really did crack open. You know, and so obviously when, when you were a teen, because that's what we're going to transition to and talking about the book a little bit. And as you struggle as a team with performance and it's about, you know, just, you know, having an appearance and everything. How do you think that relates to what teens are facing today when it comes to their faith and how well, they're growing up in the church? It is so much more difficult now. I mean, think about, you know, when you were in high school or when I was in high school, you know, we we could, you know, I had these pieces of paper and I would rate girls. I mean, it was awful looking back on it, but you know, I'd write a girl's name down and I'd put like a number beside of her name and pass it to my buddy. Like she's an eight out of, out of 10 on the hot scale, you know, kind of deal. And you'd write a letter to a girl. Hey, do you want to go out with me? Check, Check yes, yes and no. And, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and you know, I mean, for real, that's what we did. We passed notes, you know, and you had to wait to get it back or maybe never got it back. And that's how you kind of knew whether somebody liked you or not. But now, you know, constantly in our pocket is this phone that is buzzing with notifications that is telling us how loved we are, how important we are, how liked we are. And kids can look at that Instagram profile and see how many likes they got on a picture and they can see how many followers they have. And there's a number assigned to their popularity. And that is devastating. I mean, it's kind of like the gambling addiction, you know, how, how we if you've ever gone to Vegas, you know, and played the slots, like there, your heart pitter patters and, or, or, you know, it is this kind of addicting thing. You want to kind of put it the other quarter in and pull it and see, is it going to win? And in the same sense, like we are doing that with our phones because every time we pull out our phone, we're, we're pulling, we're pulling that lever of that slot machine. And we're trying to find out, are we valuable and are we a winner or are we a loser? And we're getting an answer every time we pull it out. And so kids are facing a different world today than I ever faced as a teenager. Yeah, you know, now that I think about it, you, you're absolutely right, because um, their validation um, is coming from what the public thinks of them. And we used to do the same thing, except that it wasn't as public as it is now. So everybody gets to see, oh, so Drew's not hot. <laughs> nobody thinks, I, he's like, oh, right. I didn't think Drew was hot, but nobody else thinks he's hot either. You know? Oh yeah, there's an are you hot or not app. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I heard about the app. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. And I mean, and kids really do it. I mean, 
as sad as it is, I mean, I've been in high school cafeterias and I've walked. This is a true. This is a true statement right here. You're not going to believe me, but it's true. I've walked down a cafeteria table, and I've been sitting with guys, and I and I watched them pull out a phone, and there's a picture of a naked girl on their phone, and the girl's sitting at the other end of the oh, table, my and she's texted, you know, her boyfriend a picture of herself, and these guys are passing around and all laughing, and the girl's sitting right there, and. Wow. I mean, I, I've seen it happen. I know it happens. I talk to kids, and it's and it's real. And we think that's not my kid, you know. If I have a parent of a teenager, but the reality is that's the world we're, that we're living in right now. And see, and we know obviously this is a show for men, and we don't want to hear this as fathers um, because we keep thinking, well, you know, we'll think if we can't put put our kids on lockdown and keep them locked up like Shawshank Redemption, then we'll yeah. protect them from what's going on in society. No, I mean even. The, the parents who are doing it right or righteously still are, they're not immune to this. Oh, um, no. Because everybody right. can, we, even us as Christian men, we have lapses in judgment. We do things to, to get affirmation that we look back and like, I can't believe I did that. But with the kids, they're, they're um, I guess, their bandwidth or their room for error is very, very tiny because they can make one small error in judgment. And like that, you're sitting at a table looking at this person and she doesn't even know that you're looking at her. You know? Yeah, it, it makes me wonder, like, who's going to get elected to public office in 20 years? Because there's going to be so much digital track record of what kids have done when they're in high school that they're going to. I mean, it's just going to be really difficult. I mean, I hope nobody ever finds my digital track record. From college. <laughs> oh, man. You know, like, you know, I often joke, Drew, and it's not really a joke. I'm actually being serious. They just laugh when I tell them. I said, I could never run for president or run for politics. I said, not because of the social media stuff, because of my friends who I grew up with. Just yeah. people I used to hang around. <laughs> right. They're like, he used to hang around these kind of people. And so just my associations alone will keep me ever from running for politics. But you couldn't have told me that when I was a kid. That, Joe, you hang around as kid. That kid is going to end up doing a life sentence in prison. That's going to follow you <laughs> as your uh, last in judgment and having you know and so the things you never know so you're right i never thought about that what it'll be like um for those who are running for office now in 20 years from now when they can go back and pull from the cloud <laughs> stuff that they thought they deleted and got rid of off the internet yeah if bad company is gonna be a problem for running for office jesus should definitely never run for office. i know that's you right know? you know, you know because... i'm glad you said that that put me in good company then <laughs> so right. he, he right. around some shady characters too yes you know but let's let's jump into this drew because now this is a great segue into talking about teenagers. So I'll start, but what do you say is the biggest challenge we face as adults when building relationships with teenagers? What do you think from your perspective? I mean, a hundred percent it's trust. Kids have such a hard time trusting anyone because their trust gets broken all the time. You know, I mean, it happened for us when we were kids You know, I had two best friends, John and Brandon, and I would find out that John and Brandon are having a sleepover at Brandon's house and I didn't get invited and my heart breaks, you know, and I feel so left out. We'll magnify that now with social media and kids seeing, oh, they went to the spooky woods corn maze uh, without me, you know, and I didn't get invited. And so they feel alone. They feel like they can't trust anyone. They, they feel like they especially can't trust adults because adults are so secretive and hidden and they're not willing to express their junk because I think we as adults really struggle with shame. And we think there's no way I can tell my kid to put his phone up when he sees me with my phone out all the time. There's no way I can tell my kid to turn off screen time when he knows after he goes to bed that I'm turning Netflix on, you know? And, and so we have this shame as adults, so we're not willing to get close to kids and show them our mess. And so kids have a hard time trusting us if we're not going to be real with them. You know, it's funny. I, I feel conviction. <laughs> no, put myself out there, man. I remember maybe about two years ago, I'm sitting, I mean, you mentioned about Netflix. I'm sitting there watching television and my daughter walks around at the time Faith was, I guess, 13, 14 years old. She's 16 now. And she walks in and I'm watching Empire on, <laughs> on, yeah, on yeah, television, yeah. right? And I think, I'm not thinking much of it, right? And my daughter looks at me, my teenage daughter looks at me, old tween looks at me and says, Really, Dad? <laughs> That's what you want. And, gotcha. And then, of course, I'm thinking, what are you talking about? What's the big deal? And so I said, get out of my room. So she leaves the room. Do you know I could not even stand and watch that show again? Uh-uh. I, I'm like, I couldn't even enjoy the show anymore. And so, yeah. I, I, so that was the last day I watched Empire. But it took my daughter <laughs> coming in and looking at me like she was the parent. Dad, really? Yeah. Really? That's what you're watching? 
And I'm like, yeah. wow. <laughs> so, so you're right with the trust. But I want to ask you this, Drew, when it comes to trust, because we hear that a lot. And I agree with you 100%. That's what I tell parents. that Man, don't break the trust. But what I'm running into, and maybe I don't know if this is a fair question to ask you or not, but it gets to a point that even when you're trying to build trust, it's like people are looking for reason to not trust you. So even if you make a mistake, there's no room for error. It's sort of, oh, I can't trust you anymore. Do you see that happening a lot with teenagers? Oh, for sure. But, you know, how you build trust is by admitting the error and by admitting you. a mistake mm-hmm. and by repenting. You know, I, I think so often we teach kids to say, I'm sorry. You know, if my six-year-old son, Hutch, hits his nine-year-old sister, her name's Honey, if Hutch is honey, you know, like we make Hutch look at her in the eye and say, I'm sorry, honey. But if we don't talk about, you know, how, hey, this isn't a way to continue living. Let's make a U-turn and start living this way. Hey, instead of just saying, I'm sorry, we want you to like serve your sister. So what's a way that you could serve? Could you clean up her side of the room, you know, for her and really try to teach them repentance? Well, we've got to model that as adults, too. We've got to model this this apology followed by repentance. So what it looks like if you're watching that and your daughter comes in and says really to you, then instead of you just stop and watch an empire, it looks like you going to her and saying, hey, thank you for saying that one word to me. Because I know it seems funny, but the the Holy Spirit really did use it to convict me. And I want to be a dad for you who like models for you holiness and purity and value in time. And yeah, I mean, it's good to waste time. It is good to, to veg some. And, and I'm not saying don't ever watch Netflix. I, I love some Netflix. But I, I want to be a dad for you who really models for you what it means to to pursue holiness in Christ. And and so that's hard for me because there's a lot of me that really wants to watch this and it's entertaining. And I think I get sucked into the show because of this, you know, and explain like what it is about it that's drawing you in and really invite her into your mental process and that. But, but then say, hey, here's what I want you to know. I'm going to not watch that show anymore. And here's why, you know, and when, when you apologize and tell her and talk that out, then it helps her figure out how to make those decisions that she's going to face in life. You know, Drew, it's funny hearing you say that now. So it wasn't enough when I went and told her laughter was like, thanks for ruining the show for me. I couldn't watch it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so that wasn't enough. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, man, we all we all have a long list of failures, don't we? I'll tell you, but you know, but the great thing about my kids is that we do have open and honest conversations. I love that way. I, you know, and now I would look back. I wish I would have done it the way you just described it, of explaining even more into it, because she knows that that I like to model the kind of behavior I want them to follow. My son, my daughter, both the same way. I told them I want them to be them, but to do me. <laughs> you know allow yourself to watch what I allow myself to watch, to listen to what I allow myself to listen to and to treat people the way I treat people. And when I make mistakes, I want you to learn from it and how I respond to those mistakes. And so a lot of times, um, you know, more than I hate to admit, I've had to go back and like you said, apologize and repent and not realizing that that is building trust when you do that. And, but as men, we think it's weakness, but what, what do you say to that? Well, yeah, well, you know, I think I think that is probably our biggest problem as men is we do not want to admit when we're wrong. You know, I don't want to I don't want to apologize to my wife. I don't want to apologize to my friends. You know, like I'm kind of in this like rough spot with some of my guy friends right now. And we're we're in this debate over education and um, how we're educating our kids because we're all doing it different ways. And, uh, and we've said some things that have been hurtful to one another and we all think we're right. And um, I think it's important for us to to deal with that with the Lord first and come to him before we like go ask advice for everybody else or try to Google to prove our point and win the debate. I mean, so often we're so much more consumed with winning the argument than we are with winning the relationship. You know, when we start prioritizing the relationship over being right, then our world begins to shift and our, and our view begins to shift and we put ourselves in the other person's shoes. And then it becomes more natural than just something that we're trying to do. Because if we live with the word should, S-H-O-U-L-D, on our shoulders all the time, I should do this, I need, I should do this, I need to do more of this, then that's just, that weight's going to break us. But when we realize, like, this is what God himself has done. Like, God himself exposed himself. He came down and he was naked on a cross bearing our sin. Like, that is our model for how we should live, you know, bearing our soul on behalf of, of other people. And it is humiliating. I mean, I cannot imagine the humiliation 
that God himself went through as people spit in his beard and as people nailed him to the cross. But we walk with a, a, a living God who has experienced that with us and invites us into the Jesus way. The Jesus way to experience resurrected life is through the cross. It's through the shame. It's through bearing our naked souls. You know, and it's, and I'm hearing you say that, Drew, and I can hear the men out there who are listening saying, yeah, that sounds great, but that's easier said than done. I mean, I'm thinking, there men, we, we can get so prideful that we'd rather be crucified than bear our souls yeah. <laughs> to somebody oh, yeah. else. Okay. You know, but, but that's what God has called us to. You know, so I want to ask you this, because you mentioned that trust is probably the biggest challenge, that the barrier that we have to overcome, that wall that we have to break down with kids, um, with, with teenagers, especially with teenagers. And you say it can start with us um, um, being able to repent and to apologize and to change to build that trust. What other things can we do as dads, as men, to start rebuilding that trust with teenagers? You know, I um, was on Instagram a few weeks ago, and I saw that my friend Holly posted a picture of her dad, Chuck. And Chuck is um, probably 70 years old, and the, uh, Chuck's living with his 40-year-old daughter, Holly, and her family now because he's fighting dementia. And um, she had posted this picture of him in a recliner reading the Bible with a journal out and writing it out. And uh, the comment under the picture said, this is how I've seen my dad every morning since I can remember. And uh, and I went and visited with Chuck and Holly in Nashville um, soon after that and was just asking her about that. And she said, yeah, as a kid, as, you know, as a six-year-old, I remember walking out of my room and seeing my dad on his knees and with the Bible open and with his journal open and praying and studying God's Word. And even though he you know, is facing dementia now, he still knows so much Scripture. And when I was visiting with Chuck, he was just quoting all the scripture and he couldn't remember my name, but, but he remembered God's word. And I think for us, like, that's what we've got to do is we've, we've got to run to the Lord. We've got to run to his word. And it's way more, it fans the flame of, of what we need, fans our need flame. If we go and get stuff done, you know, if we wake up in the morning and all right, I got to exercise because I want my body to look good. So I got to, I got to get my to-do list done. I got to get my emails done. I got to whatever, you know, like that is way more quick approval that we're going to get. But if over time we can really develop this you know, mantra and rhythm and discipline of hearing the Lord's voice speak over us, that's going to change what we believe about ourselves. That's going to change what, val- what value we place on the world's voice versus God's. But we've got to get rid of that distraction. And man, I'm preaching the choir. I mean, call me in a week and ask me if I've been doing this because I need it. <laughs> yeah, we all need it, man. You know, because when it comes to that, that trust thing is so, so unvaluable. But you got to imagine or at least kind of looking in your mind's eye thinking that a teenager is looking at us and says, Wow, um, I know dad believes that he loves God. He believes God. But if I can't even trust him to build a relationship with God, how can I trust him to build a relationship with me? Exactly. And so even like you're saying with her, seeing the consistency of her dad um, going into God's presence. And so I never thought about it that way, that even in the sense we're we're building a relationship with our kids by them seeing our dedication and our commitment to being in God's presence. And Drew, you bring up the fact is that this guy's not doing it. He's not doing it reluctantly and like, oh, I should do. And you mentioned about us doing all the shoulds we do. Um, somebody once told me, they said, Joe, God is not a, um, God doesn't want us shitting on ourselves. Yeah, <laughs> right? That's exactly right. He said, that, that's not the God we serve. We don't serve a should God. Um, and obviously he wants to be in God's presence and we should want and desire that too. And so um, this this thing about seeking him, our kids are watching. They're looking at this. Right. But but I mean, I want to watch The Office more than I want to wa- you know, read the Bible. I mean, like, you're talking about desire, you know. And so w- what we want to do, uh, we should want to spend time with God. Yeah, we should. But we don't, you know, uh, often naturally because the voice of the world is so stinking loud. I mean, it's yelling at us every time we pick up our phone. I use the iOS 12 update on my iPhone and, you know, now there's the screen time app on there and it shows you how many times you pick up your phone in the day. And my first, oh yeah, (laughs) Yeah, if you you update your iPhone and you go to your settings, um, then you can, it's the ninth thing down and it says screen time and you can click on it and it'll show you how many hours you spend on each app, how many, um, how much, how many times you pick up your phone and you can set limits on it. It's been really convicting for me. Um, And thank, 
thankfully, like I've watched some change, change happen over the past month since it's come out because I've set limits and I set a one hour limit on social media, which you would think like would be plenty. But every day I get the notification, you've hit your limit. And there's not <laughs> there's not been a day that goes by. You know? Wow. And uh, but what I, what I noticed was I was picking up my phone over 190 times. 192 was my average my first week of times I turned my screen on by picking up my phone. And I just wonder, like, what if I was picking up my Bible 192 times a day? Can you imagine? How wow. it would change my desire, you know, because my desire now is for people to like me and for people to like my Instagram post and my cute picture of my family, um, you know, or to people to buy my book or, you know, and to check my Amazon ranking. And I mean, I took the Amazon app off of my phone because after the book came out, Every day I would check my Amazon rank and I realized like, what, what am I doing? (laughs) You know, like I am looking to man to tell me how valuable I am, whether I'm ranked a hundred thousandth in the world or 100 in the world. Is that really going to change who I am and, and how valuable I am? And who really knows what these Amazon rankings anyway? I mean, you know, but it is, it has been really difficult for me, just the process of, releasing this book and putting it out there has brought up my own insecurities of where I look um, for my value and my worth. And I think in, until we as dads can can figure it out to look to the Lord, like we're not going to be able to raise kids that are doing that. You know, and Drew, as you say that, it just makes you realize how much tougher it is for teenagers. And you're a grown man. We're grown men. And we're struggling with the insecurities of how do you know where do we rank? How do people like us? How, am I doing better than this person? So how much more so for them that they're battling the same thing and they're dealing with us as adults? You know, it's it's just crazy. I remember my son. We were I was picking him up from school. He's now in college now, but he was I think it was middle school. Yeah, it was middle school. I was picking him up from school, and he asked me the question. He said, "Dad, what's the toughest thing about being a parent?" That's what he told me. He said, "What's the which I'm thinking is I said that's a hard question to answer." He said, "But yeah, Dad, I, I know it's." He said, what's the toughest thing about being a parent? And I had him um, roll down the windows and I said, um, listen to that noise. He said, what noise? He said, I don't hear anything. I said, yes, you do. I said, just pay attention. Listen. And he heard the, the brakes squeaking and um, he heard um, sirens and the, just the, the chatter of people and that kind of thing. I said, you hear all that? He said, yeah. I said, the toughest thing about being a parent is that I got to compete against all of that. I said, it's the distractions, like you said, Drew, of the world, the loud noises, the things. I said, the videos, the apps, the games. Uh, I said, your, your mama. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I got to compete against all these, these things that are vying for your attention. And I want my voice to be louder than their voices because I'm seeking him and I want you to seek him too. And he never you know, thought about it. He's, he's a dad. He said, man. He said, I never thought about it that way. And then he asked me this, Drew. He says, um, Dad, can I, can I do it? Can you do me a favor? He said, what? He said, can you pull up the windows again? He said, I want to hear that noise. <laughs> you know, but that's what they're faced with, that they're they're being distracted. And you mentioned in this 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 thing to, to track your screen time. I think I'm scared to find out how many yeah. times I pick up my phone, man. You want to know, you want to know my screen time of the first week, my average? What was this it? Is, this is super embarrassing. Six hours and 45 minutes a, a day. Moses. That was wow. my hours on screen time. Thankfully, like this past week, it was two hours and 45 minutes. Um, but I mean, I, I deleted my Netflix app. I put locks on my, you know, one hour max on social media. Um, and I mean, granted, I use it for a lot for my job. But I mean, for me, that's part of an excuse. I mean, I, and, you know, I used it this morning for probably over an hour already. And there, you know, there is something that is forming us by what we're looking at because we're looking at ourselves in that screen a lot of times. You know, I, I wrote a poem um, several years ago. Um, now, how appropriate is it now? I said, what if we treated God like we treated our cell phones? Mm. Think about that. If we didn't, we were afraid to leave home without him, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that we would, he'd be the first thing we seek in the morning when we get up <laughs> and the That's last good. thing we seek before we go to bed. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Yeah, all that to preach, man. Yeah, <laughs> scripture before screens. Yeah, I'm telling you, man. I'm telling you, we need to co-author yeah. a book together on this. That's man. right, man. I'd, I'd love to do it. I'd love to, you know, if um, Andy Crouch wrote a really great book, it's called Tech Wise Family. 
the TechWise family. And in it, he talks about how every day with his family, they do an hour away from screens. Every week, they do a day away from screens. And every year, they do a week away from screens. And he said they've just kind of built in this rhythm with his family in order to give them some time away from that distraction so they can more clearly pay attention to one another and to hear the voice of God. And, you know, that's a great rhythm that he he's picked. But I, I think, you know, if you can't, if you who are listening today can't do that with your family, pick some kind of rhythm. I mean, I think the most neglected commandment of all of them is definitely honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy, you know, and what does it look like for us to, to take a Sabbath day away from screens? Well, it's really hard because we need it for our, you know, maps and we need it for communication. But I listened to a guy speak a couple of weeks ago and it was super convicting to me, but he is a grown man. He's a pastor. And he talked about how he realized he was so addicted to his phone that he went to the store and traded in his iPhone for a dumb phone. And the people at the store are just baffled, like, what are you What are you doing? And he's like, I'm trying to get free of my addiction. And uh, and so he lived for six months with, uh, with just a dumb phone. He said it was so hard. Like, he got lost all the time. It was just, like, <laughs> super frustrating. But that, for me, was, like, what motivated some of the changes that I've made with my phone, just listening to that. And we got to model that for kids because they are, they're going to be facing, they're being raised this way. We weren't, and we've already been shaped this way. Just imagine that's all you knew since birth. And and the reality is that our behavior does determine our belief. We often think like, oh, belief determines behavior. Once I believe in God, then I'll start acting like it. But the reality is if we can get people living this lifestyle where they're less distracted and paying attention more to nature and to the voice of God and beauty in one another's eyes and art and, you know, just the the things around us that that reveal to us the nature of the Lord, then kids are going to be able to see and hear from God in a a different way than they are if if they're distracted all the time. You know, Andrew, you you touched on a great point, and I'm hoping that um, somebody, they're taking notes that they're listening. Um, You mentioned from TechWise Family is that we have to develop a rhythm with our kids and just something that where you interrupt the pattern of what society considers normal, you know, and I thought, well, you were talking about, it, I'm thinking, I said, do I have I developed a rhythm with my family? And I said, oh, yes, I have. Um, it's in a car when we're in the car, whether it be my son or my daughter, that we're not allowed. Now, it's not it's different with their mom. But when I'm in the car with them, we're not allowed to listen to music or be on our cell phones. And so all we do is talk and we communicate with each other. And it's funny over the years, because, you know, of course, I get pushback when they were early and you know when they were younger. But now that they're older, you think I'll get more pushback, but it's less. And it's, it's amazing now they expect not to they expect not to be on cell phones and not listen to music. Right. And it probably annoys them when their friends get in the car and do it. Yeah. 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 It is. I mean, it, it is great that you built that rhythm and so much. You know, I wrote this book for parents of teenagers, but I tell people it's better to read it when you have younger kids so you can oh, start yeah. these patterns. <laughs> you know, I, I wanted the book to be practically helpful. And so I talk about a lot of those practical patterns that you can do, but so much of it is the patterns. And what are we willing to do? Are we willing to give that up? And, and you know, there is a magical thing about sitting beside one another. You know, when you're facing one another, especially with kids, there is some intimidation and kids have a hard time looking you in the eye naturally unless they've really been trained to do that because of the amount of shame that they feel, especially teenagers and, and other things. I mean, they've not learned relationships like we had to when we were a kid. I mean, I had to go to cotillion and learn to dance with a girl when I was in sixth grade. But now, you know, kids, I mean, some kids will do that, but you have to, you just text, you know, or you just use pictures or you just talk through Instagram or Snapchat or whatever, but your relationships themselves are are so hard to learn. How do you have a real relationship? I mean, think about the word media. The word media itself means between. Like something has come between us. But God felt it so important that we actually get to experience the embodied presence of God himself that he put on skin and moved into our neighborhood, that he embodied the presence of humanity. So what does it look like for us to take the thing, the media that has become between us and our kids and us and each other, us and our spouses and put them down? I mean, how many marriages would be so much better if they didn't end the day laying beside each other in bed, looking at their screens, but instead looking at one another, just taking that one thing that's come between and taking it out and and saying I want to look at you instead of the screen. You're more important. You know, man, I'm being so convicted now because I think about how when we moved into a, a new home um, about three or four years ago, 
um, my wife did not want to put a television in the bedroom. <laughs> right. Right. And I'm like, well, you go to bed at nine o'clock, nine thirty. What difference does it make? But she wanted us to wanted to make sure we didn't stay in the bedroom. <laughs> and now she says, Joe, that's probably one of my biggest regrets that I allow you to talk me into having that television in the bedroom. But but you know what's funny? Talking about teenagers, my daughter does not want a television in her bedroom. I said, yeah, can you spend all your time in our bedroom <laughs> with us? But but she she doesn't want the distraction, and she wants to be able to come out of her room. And so it's funny that you mentioned that because my background, my um, my undergrad and my master's degree was in communication, but I never looked at media being uh, means of it really means between. You're right. It's actually in the middle of. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that is my, so good. My brother, um, he read the book TechWise Family and they took their TV off their wall and put it on a rolling cart and put the rolling cart in a wow. closet in their house and, um, you know, replaced it with a piano. And um, and it's really just changed the dynamic of their family and how, you know, what what is the go to when you go in the room you know, most living rooms are faced to look one way, you know, against, against the wall. But now, like the room's more in a circle, you know, and it creates more community. And so there are little things that we can do that really make such a difference in how we interact with our with our spouses and with our kids. True, you you're so right. Now that I think about it, in our living room, we don't have a television, but we entertain a lot of people. And I say a lot of people. That's an understatement. I mean, we never even lived in this house by ourselves since we moved here, and so we have. I'm talking about literally. We've had over at least a couple of thousand people come through our home. Wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm telling you, I say it's an understatement. I say we have a lot of people, but they come here, you know, once a month or once every other week or whatever. We just entertain a lot, but we don't have a television. Do you know no one has ever asked us, how come you don't have a television in your living room? Because we, what we do, we get into that living room and we talk to each other and we play games and we laugh and we have fun. But not one person has complained coming to our house where's your and asked us, where's your television? That yeah, is crazy. Yeah. I never thought about that until you just said that. Well, that's awesome, man. That's all you wow. got to do is get it out of your, your bedroom. You'd be good to go. Yeah, get out of our bedroom. <laughs> oh, I tell you. You know, I'm, as you're talking and sharing this, man, this is probably going to be one of the most convicting um, interviews I've ever done because I'm thinking, my goodness, that you're now you're going to that, that territory that we don't want to discuss, which is getting us out of our own isolation and our own medication of keeping us inoculated from every thing else around us but you're you're going there and i'm glad that you are but I, i'm gonna now i'm gonna challenge let's go back with the teenagers because now i want to look at some of the challenges we face dealing with teenagers and i want to know how do you love a teenager who refuses or rejects wisdom and and what i'm saying drew is in other words they know better they think they know better than you because now they have more access to information that we've ever had and so now all they have to do is google stuff and so a lot of times when we're trying to give advice or we're trying to minister according to the word they're thinking oh dad mom you guys don't know much <laughs> you know we i've already googled that i know better so in other words they want to learn from their own experience from their own research um and not from our sage advice what how do you um, give us advice on how to deal with that Man, I'll let Jesus do that for you. Here's 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 what Jesus did. Okay, listen, he he did this over and over. I mean, think about the knuckleheads that he hung out with. You know, over and over they watched him do these amazing miracles. They were in the presence of God Himself, and yet over and over they failed. They denied Him. They tried to keep the kids from coming to Him. They didn't believe. You know, they're what are we going to do? We're out of food. You know, they didn't have this faith. They're scared to death in the boat. You know, when they've got the God who created the winds, who can calm them in the boat with them. Why do you have such little faith? You know, over and over, these guys, they're just like teenagers. I mean, maybe they were teenagers. You know, a lot of the scholars say that they were young guys that Jesus was with, and they did not listen to his wisdom over and over. But what did Jesus do? How did he respond to them? He responded over and over again with grace. I mean, I think about Jesus' best friend, Simon Peter. And, you know, right before Jesus is going to the cross, you know, Jesus tells Peter, he says, you're going to deny me. Um, and Peter's like, no way. You know, like, I love you. You are you are my man. I'm not going to deny you. And Jesus says, yes, you are. And then sure enough, the cock crows. Peter denies Jesus. Their eyes meet. Peter starts weeping. Is he weeping because he feels the shame that he did it? I don't think so, because Jesus' gaze never, ever brings people condemnation in Scripture. I mean, when we see Jesus making eye contact with people, we see him bringing healing. I think Peter was crying because he saw compassion in Christ's eyes. Like, I still love you, even though you denied me. 
That's why Peter's crying. But then after Jesus rose from the dead in John 21, there's this incredible encounter that Jesus has with Peter on the beach. And they're out fishing, and Peter's still trying to figure out, you know, what is going on in life now that Jesus is risen from the dead, but I'm not really sure what's going on here. And Jesus come, you know, and Peter, they interact on, on the coast and they get up on the beach and you see this amazing interaction where Jesus invites Peter to have breakfast with him. But what we often miss in scripture there is there's one word that's recorded in the gospels only twice. And it's used in both those accounts. The account when Jesus and when Peter denied Jesus, when he was at Caiaphas's house during the trial, and then when Peter and Jesus were together in John 21. And the word is this word we get anthracite from. It's this Greek word for anthracite, which means charcoal. And there was this charcoal fire at both places. And what was Jesus doing when he was cooking fish on a charcoal fire when he saw Peter after the resurrection? I think he was redeeming the fact that when Peter smelled charcoal for the rest of his life, he was going to remember this time that he had denied Christ. Well, now what he was doing was he was embracing Peter with that smell of charcoal fire and eating breakfast with him and saying, I still want to be with you. So that's what we've got to do with kids. We've got to shower them with grace. We've got to say, we still want to be with you, even when you're an idiot. You know, we had a uh, high school friend wreck his dad's car last week. And, um, I, you know, I told the dad, I was like, Whatever you do, you know, like your interaction with him now is going to determine the future of your relationship with him. If you say, you idiot, why were you texting and driving? If you, you know, if you say you can never drive my car again, like that kid is going to remember himself in this place of shame. But if you say, I love you, I have made mistakes too, I have wrecked cars too, I've texted while driving too, I love you, we're going to get through this. Man, I'm mad as heck at you. And this is going to be expensive to fix, but I'm with you. I love you. And there's nothing that you can do to make me love you any less. That's going to change the course of your relationship with your kid. Respond with grace. Yeah. And, and the thing is, we should know what that looks like because of the way um, Jesus has responded to us. And God has um, given us so much grace and mercy. And it's funny how we get um, spiritual amnesia <laughs> when it's on the other side when they do it to us. But um, that's a great word. That's a great word, Drew, that we do need to be intentional about extending grace and those moments, those times when it's going to matter the most. I remember um, I was talking to my daughter in the car. Um, this was this year and giving her a drive, ride to school. And I asked her, I said, how do you know we love you? You know, because, you know, she's always telling us she loves us. How do you know mommy and daddy loves you? And she's 16. And she says, um, and I thought I knew the answer. But she's mentioned basically what you said. She says, how you guys respond to me when I screw up? I'm like, what? That's exactly right. And she says, Daddy, sometimes I do, I make mistakes and I do things that I think there's no way in the world they're going to forgive me for this. There's no, way, there's no way in the world they're going to treat me different. They're going to treat me the same way now that I've done this. He says, and you and mom, you guys will discipline me. You get on me. But you act like it never happened after you do it. And you don't love me any differently. You know, you continue as if I never did it. And I broke down and she was asking why was I crying because I didn't realize in, that we were demonstrating the love of Christ to her by extending her grace and mercy. And she made me spot that because I thought, you know, she's going to say we love her because we spent time with her and we provide for her, we protect her. And it was more so of the grace and the mercy part of it. And so what a lesson that she taught me on what you're saying right here, that we need to always respond with grace. Yeah, and not just to our kids, but also to ourselves. Oh, I mean, yeah, man. So, so often we're so yeah. hard on ourselves. I had a guy come up to me at church yesterday, and he said, I just finished reading alongside, and um, my kids are in college now, and I just have so much regret. He's like, I wish I would have read this book before they went to went to college and went to high school and went to middle school. I, I was like, man, I, I didn't write the book to make you feel guilty. You know, I feel so bad, you know, like I wish I wish you would have left with with more hope in that. And he's like, no, 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 I I did. I did have hope, but I just wish I would, I would have done it differently. And I think, I, you know, I don't want any guys to hear this interview today and leave thinking, man, like I've just. Yeah, I've blown it. I've screwed so, up, I've blown so up so much. Because yeah. I mean, the reality is like, look at look at the disciples. I mean, look at how much they screwed up. And yet, what did they do? Like later in their life, like they started the church, they spread the kingdom of God. They were mighty men of God and they died martyrs, many of them, because of what they believed. The beauty of doing youth ministry for the past 20 years is I've been able to watch 
lives changed over the long haul. You know, I, I got a phone call a couple of years ago, and I write about this in in the book from um, from a guy, and he just told me that he had just lost it. Like he had gotten his girlfriend pregnant, gotten in a fight with his dad, moved to work on an oil rig in Texas, just given up on his education, just kind of you know thrown his life to the wind, and then later in life he came back to the Lord, and he just called me and he said, "Hey, I just wanted to thank you for showing me." What Jesus looked like when I was in middle school, because when I was at the bottom of the barrel, like that's what I remembered is is like I want to have a life like that when you were my like middle school youth pastor, and like I don't get many phone calls like that, but that encouraged me to keep going. And then thirty minutes after that, I walked into this this conference and this guy came up to me and he said, "Hey Drew, I just want to thank you so much for um, doing Young Life at this this high school." you know, back in the day, because now I'm leading Young Life at this school, and we get a meet in the high school, because the principal of the high school was one of your Young Life guys, and I was wow. like, I was like, what? Wow. I'm not old enough to have a <laughs> Young Life guy. He's like, no, no, he was the principal of the year for the whole school system. He's crushing it. This school's like one of the top schools in the state, and I was like, who is it? And he told me the guy's name, and I just started crying, because I hadn't talked to that kid since he was in high school, and, and then I since reconnected with the kid, and he with not not a kid now, you know. I mean, he's a high school principal and married, you know. And he he was just like, yeah, I started following Jesus when I was in high school, and it was through like your ministry. And I'm so grateful, but I just never knew about it. It it often takes so long for kids to mature. So hang in there, show yourself grace, share your kids grace, and just be patient and faithfully show up. I mean, it takes grapes ten years to mature into wine. You know, and what? It, how long is it going to take for our kids to mature? How long is it going to take for us? The Lord is patient with you, and in turn, let let's be patient with one another and with our kids. Uh, Drew, what a great word, man! And, and you know, even though I didn't get to some of the other questions, because now it's time for us to get to the man up questions. But what a great way! And because I, I don't even want to ruin that by asking an additional question, because what you're giving and you're giving the men hope out there who are listening that it's not how you start, but it's how you choose to finish. How you choose to finish and thank God the disciples finished strong um, because they had a, a bumpy start <laughs> with Christ. But and you're right. That, I think that's what I miss about education, too, because now that I've been, you know, you're talking about over 20 some years in education. I see now my students who are now parents. They're now <laughs> they're in um, political positions. I'm thinking, Wow. Who knew? I thought that kid was crazy. You know, when I was younger. And look at the impact they're having. And then when they come back and thank you for it, man, there's no better feeling in the world. But you got to be honest with some of them. You tell them like, dude, I really didn't think you'd do this. I didn't really. I thought it was, I lost all hope for you. And not many are going to come back and thank you. I mean, Jesus healed, he healed the 10 lepers. One came back and thanked him. You know, I mean, we don't do it to be thanked, you know, and I don't have a lot of those success stories. And I've been doing this for a long time, but the Lord is working even when we can't see it. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. And, you know, and now it's time for our infamous man of questions. And Drew, all they are five quick questions, starting with the letters M-A-N-U-P and all they require is your fearless honesty, which you won't have a problem with at all. So my question to you, Drew, is are you ready? I'm ready. Bring it. All right. And we'll get started right after this short break. If you're like most men in our audience, you're committed to becoming the man, husband, father, and leader God called and created you to be. But the truth of the matter is, you struggle with either finding the time or knowing where to start. That's exactly why I created the Real Men Spiritual Leader Blueprint to give you a step-by-step, easy-to-follow guide to spiritually leading your family, even if you're a new believer. Now, you can't buy the Real Men Spiritual Leader Blueprint, but you can get it for free by signing up for our free e-newsletter. By signing up, you will be notified anytime fresh content is added to my site, so you don't always have to visit my blog to stay up-to-date on the latest information. Now, to get your free copy of the Real Men Spiritual Leader Blueprint, just visit realmenconnect.com and simply enter your name and email address on the form on the page. So if you're tired of trying to figure it all out and fit it all in as the spiritual leader, provider, and protector of your family, don't miss your chance to discover how to be the man God called and created you to be. Sign up today at realmenconnect.com. Well, 
Welcome back, Mighty Warriors. I'm with my guest, Drew Hill, who's a pastor in Greensboro, North Carolina, and the author of Alongside Intentionally Loving Teenagers with the Gospel. And he's been a, a blessing to have on the show. He's been talking to us about dealing with our teenagers. We've been having some fun with also a lot of convicting stuff that, um, that we don't have to walk in shame about. But like um, Drew said earlier, that there's hope and that we need to um, finish well, not just um, worry about how we're starting. But he has agreed to take on the man of questions, and he's brave enough to do it. So we're getting ready to get started, Drew. And here's the first question I have for you. And it starts with the letter M and it stands for mistake. Now that you've been working with teenagers all your life now, for most of your life, and you've now written this great book, what mistake did you learn the most from as a teenager yourself? I think I learned when I, you know, when I was talking earlier about my judgmental spirit towards other people, when I, when I saw how I was judging other people and, and you know, if, if people said like, the word sucks. I thought like they were going to hell. Like I had such <laughs> right. a judgmental opinion on them. I wrote a letter to the young life director in my town telling her she was sending kids to hell with her watered down gospel because I didn't understand that young life was like trying to reach out to lost kids. And I was just like, why are all these druggies going to this Christian club? And I had, you know, just made this mistake of judgment. But I, what I realized was that my biggest mistake was I was so shame is feeling such shame inside of me that I was judging myself and wanting to hurt others because behind the scenes, you know, I was looking at pornography when I'm like judging people on the outside and, and I'm like not wanting people to know what I really am like. And so I think the biggest mistake that I learned from is what is going on on the, on the inside is going to come out on the outside. My secret, my secret sin cannot stay hidden. That shame that I'm going to feel inside is going to be reflected to other people. Right. You know, and Drew, I'm going to deviate just a little bit from the norm because I want to ask these man up questions with the M-A-N-U-P. But I'm going to ask you a second mistake question because I love the fact that you just shared that from being from a teenager standpoint. But now I want to look at it from a, a youth leader standpoint. What was the biggest mistake that you think that we make as people who are trying to influence teenagers, whether it be a parent or a, a youth leader, that we that has been the biggest mistake that you see that we make. You know, I started the show by sharing my favorite verse, you know, First Thessalonians 2, we loved you so much that we we're delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you've become so dear to us. So often we just do the first part. I want to share with you the gospel. I want to I want to tell you what you need to do better. I want to teach you the scriptures, you know, like we want to we want our life to be a lecture. But really, like, God didn't come and give us this lecture. You know, Jesus gave us his presence, you know, um, and, and sure, Jesus spoke. But I mean, there's not that many words that he spoke that we have recorded, but he gave us his presence. And, you know, as I've been writing alongside and trying to get it out there, I've been super busy. And um, and it's been really convicting for me because my, my own kids have felt that, and, you know, and, and I've been convicted that how can I tell other people to to go have this embodied presence with their own children if I'm not doing it with my own. But a month ago, I got this, um, let me see if I can find it. I got this voice message from my daughter, honey. She's nine. Here, here it is. Um, it's a little dark right now. I, um, I just miss you a lot. Maybe one day you could take off work or something like that because I just feel like I long for you to come home every day. And then when you come home, you just go again. Man, that was super, super convicting to get that from my own daughter. And I'm like, man, I, I, I made a mistake. You know, like I've told I've been spending so much time telling other people to do this that I'm not doing it. And uh, and so since I got that message, man, it's been life changing for me because it's like the Lord opened my eyes to I got I got to spend some time with my kids. So I, t I took him to this Repticon reptile conference this weekend. And um, while my wife was spending some time with some girlfriends and, uh, and that we came home with a leopard gecko. And so <laughs> they, uh, we've been we had really good time being together. But I'm trying to be more and more intentional in doing that because I know that the enemy wants to take me down. You know, and I'm glad that that I asked you that question because it's not about lecturing; it's about sharing our lives. Our our children need more of our presence, not our presence that we buy for them. That's right. That's and right. So, so we need to focus on that. Now, let's go to the A, and A is attitude. And if there is one attitude you can change in the hearts of parents, and specific, specifically speaking, we're talking about dads, and when it comes to dealing with teenagers, what would it be? An attitude of the heart. Arrogance, definitely. It would be because we think we know it all, you know. But I mean, do do we really do we really know what it's like to be in their shoes? 
you know, do we do we realize what it feels like to get rejected every minute of the day on social media and, and in the school? And uh, do we remember what it's like to have a zit on our forehead? Do we remember what it's like to fail a test and feel like an idiot? Do we remember what it's like to get cut from a team? We we think like we we know how to live life, but we've got to take the arrogance hat off and we've got to put on the empathy hat and and walk in their shoes oh that's good stuff true good stuff man now the n stands for next and you're doing a lot of great things now um even with um young leaders and and with your book and even as a pastor um but the n stands for next what would be the next big thing you would attempt to do for god if you knew you couldn't fail I really believe that there is a call on my life to help train up people to do youth ministry. And um, and I feel like there's not a, a, a one central place that I'm aware of in the world where people can go and just get world-class youth ministry training. And, um, and I think a lot, you know, I get a call or an email almost weekly. Hey, do you know anybody who could be a youth pastor at our church? And we've got to cast a vision now for this next generation of kids to not just be NBA players, um, and not just be famous because that's what they see. You know, we wanted to be that when we were kids, but we, but now it's just on this whole other level because they see how many Instagram followers LeBron has, you know, and so they, they want to be an NBA player even worse than I did. And so we've got to cast a vision for them and their life. Hey, how can we start raising up world changers now for the kingdom of God? How can we cast a vision for our kids to be missionaries and pastors and business leaders who are following after Jesus and start getting them mentored by other men who are godly business leaders and doctors and, you know, and not just how can you make more money and how can you be more famous? And so I I really want to create a place here in Greensboro, North Carolina, where I live, where I can invite other folks into that intentionally training up people to be world changer youth leaders. And and I would love to see that happen too, because I agree with you 100%. You know, part of my coming over to uh, work in men's ministry now answering the call is because I want to see um, us as men step up to reach more young people. And I believe it is going to start with the men, you know, as the head goes, so goes the body. And so um, I'm coming in agreement with you on that, too. I would love to see that happen. And we train up some um, some youth leaders. Now, the U stands for understand. And Drew, when you were younger, uh, what was the one thing you didn't understand about being a man, but you know better now? I think I didn't really understand how to to be in relationship with a woman. You know, I, I think, um, you know, my mom and dad have been married for a long time and, um, and I've watched really great things happen in their relationship, but nobody, um, really ever sit me down and taught me how to have be, be friends with a girl. Thankfully the Lord gave me grace and brought my friends, Laurie and Millie into my life when I was in middle school and they became good friends of mine. But I think nowadays, especially, we as men have got to be teaching guys how to be friends with girls because girls have become so such sexual objects for our own benefit that kids are not understanding, all right, what does it look like to have a friendship with a girl where you talk to them, not just text with them, but where you and, and where there's there doesn't have to be any touching or sexual nature to the relationship. And I really want to do a better job of teaching the guys in our own church and the guys in my community about how to be friends with girls. I think it's difficult um, for me now because it feels hard even as a, as a 40-year-old pastor now for me to be friends with women because of just what's going on in our culture with pastors falling. And um, and I definitely am not uh, – you know, so dumb to think that that could not be me. Uh, but I mean, thankfully, I um, I really try to bring my wife into those relationships. And I work closely with two gals, Melissa and Valerie, and we like talk together every day. But I bring Natalie into those relationships so that we can all be brothers and sisters in Christ. But I think the key is teaching kids how to be brothers and sisters and friends so they stop viewing the opposite sex just as someone to conquer. You know, and I think we're as not only as um, education system, but also as a a Christian body of Christ, we're not doing a good job of that. And we do need to do that. So I'm glad you you brought that up. Now, here's the last letter. and We'll let you off the hook. All right, Drew. And the last letter is P and the P stands for problem. Um, Even as a mighty man of God, which you are, um, what is still the one problem in your life you still struggle with as a man even today? Friends. I mean, I think it's so hard to have good guy friends. And uh, I mean, one of the most healing things in my life for the past few years has been my friend Dave has driven an hour and a half from Charlotte um, one Monday a month to eat lunch with me. And uh, and I'm like tearing up now 
just um, even thinking about that because it is so difficult to have guys who per, just to pursue another guy and just to know that we are loved and that that guys want to be known. And I think shame has played a big part in that. And I think being a pastor makes it even harder, you know, to have, have good guy friends. Um, but I think for all guys, I mean, I, I live in a neighborhood where I'm friends with these seven guys that live around me. And, um, you know, not, I don't think any of them are really following the Lord. Um, but, you know, we hang out and we talk about yard work and football and, and, you know, I try to talk about deeper things with them, but I mean, I've never seen any of them hang out with another guy friend or a guy come to pick them up or go to lunch with them. And, and I know that they're lonely and longing for that. And I, I, th- I think we've just got to fight hard for guy friendship and make that a priority where we can have true brotherhood in Christ. You know, and that's what uh, Real Men Connect is all about, um, because I see the same thing. And and that's a whole nother show, man, of talking about it, because that's the barrier I'm trying to get men to overcome. And we're hoping that this show is, is at least giving them insight. I mean, even hearing a man like you express his heart that there are men like us who do desire to be in um, relation with other men, to have godly relationship that David Jonathan Bond. You know, with other men and it's just and it seems so difficult and so hard, but it's because of shame and the lack of trust and some of the things that have happened to us in our past with past trauma. And I tell you, that's a whole nother topic. But I want to I just want to say you did a great job, Drew. Uh, That was awesome. Thanks for being so transparent and honest and vulnerable with us, man. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me and thank you for what you're doing. It is a huge gap in our world right now that needs to be filled because um, men have got to connect with the Lord and each other or, or we're, we're doomed, you know, and Jesus modeled that for us. He so longed to connect with us that, that he came to the world and died for us. And, uh, and that's really the heart of God. So thank you for what you do, Joe. Well, I, I'm trying, Drew. I'm really trying, man. And Drew, quickly for our listeners, if they wanted to find out more about you, your, your book, your ministry or whatever, if they want to just reach out to you and connect with you, what's be the best way for them to, um, to get a hold of you? Just go to alongsideteenagers.com, alongsideteenagers.com. That's the website for the book. And you can email me on there. I love speaking to groups uh, of teenagers or of parents or of youth leaders. And uh, and I'm really grateful for you having me on the show. But Alongside Teenagers is the best way to get me, alongsideteenagers.com. All right. And we'll make sure that's in the show notes. That's alongsideteenagers.com. And you guys can reach out and email um, Drew through his website. Also, get a copy of his book, which I highly recommend because obviously this man knows a lot about um, dealing with teenagers. And your kids are still young, so you got some time before you deal Thankfully, with teenagers, yeah. man. But you got a lot of training. And so thanks, Drew, for joining us. And guys, um, if you like today's show, please do us a favor. And this is so important. Take about 30 seconds to go over to iTunes and rate the program for us, especially if you like this interview that I had with Drew today and talking about how we can reach um, and connect with teenagers better. It's the best way to help us get this program in the hands, ears, and hearts of men just like you. And please don't keep us a secret. Share us with your friends. So until next time, I'm Joe Martin, your man builder with RealMenConnect.com, reminding you that we are males by birth. But we are men by choice. So each and every day, choose to be the man God called and created you to be because a male is a terrible thing to waste. So until next time, stay strong, stay blessed. And as always, you know, stay in God's grip. Thank you for listening to the Real Men Connect podcast with Dr. Joe Martin. Real Men Connect isn't just a podcast. It's a mission, ministry, and movement to help good men become the great men God called and created us to be. And the best is yet to come. So if you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and leave us a review in iTunes. It really helps us to build the podcast and to reach, teach, and impact more men, all for the glory of God. And make sure you check out realmenconnect.com to get our free tools and resources to help you go from good man to great man God's way. Again, that's realmenconnect.com. Thank you for listening. We'll see you in the next episode.